Welcome to Hashtags and Stilettos with Sakita Holly, the podcast that's like having your own personal publicist in your pocket, sharing business, lifestyle, and PR tips on demand. Today's guest is Demetria Lucas Doily. To live tweet this episode, use the hashtag Hashtags and Stilettos, and be sure to tag Demetria on Twitter at DL Doily or Instagram at Demetria Lucas Doily and me at Miss Success on both Instagram and Twitter. That's M-I-S-S Success. Demetria is an award-winning journalist and author who got her unofficial start in the world of journalism when she launched her first blog, A Bell in Brooklyn, in 2007, which was all about the misadventures of a single Southern woman living too far above the Mason-Dixon. Demetria's hilarious story, straight-to-the-point advice, and wit earned her fast fans and the attention of editors at Essence Magazine, where she would eventually serve as their relationships editor for four years. Like any other modern-day boss would do, Demetria leveraged the hell out of her role at Essence. With monthly columns that solidified her personal brand as a relationship expert, she landed bylines in every publication imaginable, like the New York Times, Washington Post, Huffington Post, CNN.com, TheRoot.com, where she currently serves as a contributing editor, and many more. With each byline and blog post, her popularity grew, especially on social media where she has amassed a digital community of more than 100,000 fans across platforms where she's continued to dole out her advice on Ask FM or to anyone using the hashtag AskDemetria. To date, she has answered more than 60,000 of your questions. She has written two books, 2011's A Bell in Brooklyn, the go-to guide for advice on living your best single life, and 2014's Don't Waste Your Pretty, the go-to guide for making smarter decisions in life and love. She is currently working on her third book, which you guessed it, will be another must-read guide, but this time it'll be focused on making smart business and career decisions, a topic that you'll soon learn Demetria is more than qualified to discuss. Today, I'll be talking to Demetria about everything I just mentioned and how she's been able to basically write her way to a life on her own terms. Welcome to the show, Demetria. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's, it's really, I'm excited to have this conversation because I've been a fan of yours from a distance. I've been, you know, just watching your moves and inspired by everything that you've done. But as I was preparing for this interview, I learned something new about you. I didn't realize that your blog, A Bell in Brooklyn, came before your time at Essence and is the reason you got that job. Can you well, talk about, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I, go ahead. Answer your, ask your questions. Ask your questions. I'm being yeah, a bad so I, interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're being a journalist that you are. <laughs> um, so I, I didn't know that that preceded the, the Essence column. Is that how it happened or was it kind of like a simultaneous thing? No, I had uh, the blog Bell in Brooklyn. I started it in, I want to say, May or June of 2007, and then I landed at Essence in November of that year. But there's a bit of a a tricky backstory there. Um, I went to school for English uh, at the University of Maryland and then Mm -hmm. journalism at NYU. So by the time I landed at Essence and started my blog, I had been a writer for seven years. I just was freelance. Um, so I had a a whole background in journalism. So it wasn't like, Oh, like I started this blog and then essence, you know, picked this person who just started writing from nowhere. Um, Mm -hmm. but I'd been around for a while. And at the time that I was, uh, I started a bell in Brooklyn, I'd been an editor in the publishing world for about five years. I was editing romance novels at Harlequin and Mm -hmm. Harlequin is very interesting. It sort of operates like a, a boot camp for, 
relationships. So every book that comes out about relationships, every major study that's released, every, gosh, every movie, every relationship mm-hmm. in pop culture, you know, we dissect it and talk about it in, in conference rooms and, you know, they assign us things to research and write about and they figure out how they can incorporate um, these storylines that people are so mm-hmm. interested in into the novels. So that's how I really got hardcore interested in the ins and outs of actual relationships, not just fictional ones. And that's kind of what led me to start my blog. That's that's so interesting uh, that that was kind of like the catalyst uh, for you. So it wasn't anything, you know, going on in your personal life where you're just like, you know what, this is this dating life is is not for me thing or things are going really well. I'm just going to start this blog. It was really like you had like a hardcore basically boot camp of just with of every aspect of relationships. Yeah. Well, so. At the time that I started, Sex and the City was still on the air. And, you know, it's this big popular show about, you know, women in relationships and these women in their mid-30s who are living in New York City. And there was very little black representation on the show. And it was sort of weird. So before Harlequin, I worked at BET Books. I know I'm like all Mm -hmm. over the place right now. But before Harlequin, I worked at BET Books and I was editing black romance novels. And I liked doing romance novels. And I figured if I was going to, you know, be in this lane, I should do it on the biggest level. So, you know, I got a job at Harlequin and I was editing mainstream fiction. And there was a stark contrast in the way that white women talk about relationships and black Mm -hmm. women talk about relationships. And Mm -hmm. I would sort of notice these when I was at work, I would sort of I would listen to my coworkers and I would read all these books and I would just be like, is this people's fantasy? Like, really? Because <laughs> black women's fan- like white women's fantasies are like, he's got to be a millionaire. He's a CEO. He comes from like this wealthy family. They have all this property. They live on a ranch. There's a compound. And black women were like, I just want him to be ha- like make six figures and be respectful of me. It was just right. really that simple. And I was like, our fantasies are so... I don't say that. I will say that our fantasies seem like something that should be not basic, but should be bottom line. It should be something that's mm-hmm. a given, and that right. wasn't what women were getting, and so much so that they're this is their fantasy is that just treat me nice, you know, right. and, and respect me as a partner. So there was all that going on, and then I would watch Sex in the City with its no black people, and I would think about mm-hmm. the representation of black women's dating and relationship lives. Like it was always very uphill. It was a burden. It was, you know, these extraordinary mm-hmm. dramas and, you know, mm-hmm. you, you stop dating and then you, you don't date anyone for years. You go on these sabbaticals and, and things like that. And I was like, why isn't black women's dating life life ever treated with like the same, like fun and entertainment? Like, why does it always mm-hmm. have to be serious and lead to marriage or a relationship? Why can't it just be an adventure? Um, right. because that's kind of like the life that my friends and I were living in New York city at the time. And I was complaining you know, to anyone who would listen about like, oh my God, you'll never guess what came in in this book today. You'll never guess what one of my coworkers said. Or you'll never mm-hmm. guess what this study said. And one of my very dear friends was like, I mean, you're a writer. Why don't you just write? Mm-hmm. So initially I had, um, you know, I was covering entertainment and pop culture and business as well for a bunch of different magazines, like The Source, Double XL, Vibe, Black Enterprise, People. I was writing for everyone, ESPN even. I read about sports. But mm-hmm. when I started pitching relationship content, people didn't know me for that. And mm-hmm. they were kind of like, oh, I think it's a good idea. But, and it was really, they just didn't think I was the right person to write it. So mm-hmm. I just started writing on my own. And that's um, more or less the short version of how Abel in Brooklyn was born. 
Okay, I, I love that. I want to stay there for a second where you touched on that people didn't know you for that. So they weren't, they were leery about giving you those opportunities. So you just said, you know what, I'll just kind of do my own thing. And from there, that opened up doors for you. Like how soon after you launched the blog, did you know it was like a hit or that, you know, this is really, there's, there's a lane for this for black women or talking about our experience? Um... You know, the blog was up and running for a really long time before I ever checked the numbers on it. Mm, okay. um, it just, blogging wasn't, oh, I didn't, I'll say that. I didn't think of it as like an occupation. It was just mm-hmm. a hobby. It was something to do. I'm a writer. I write. I share my thoughts and opinions and people respond to them. And it had, I was always writing for print because, you know, digital wasn't as big back then. And right. I liked the immediacy of, I post it and I get feedback automatically. So I know people like it. If they don't, what I should have put in, what I should have put out um, or left out rather. So mm-hmm. in terms of it being a hit, my first, so technically I started posting on MySpace. There was like some notes section and I would post stuff there. And mm-hmm. my friends were reading and I logged on one day and noticed I had like all these different people responding and I didn't know them. And I was like, where are all these people coming from? And so I went to a networking event with one of my really good friends. And she ended up sitting next to a woman who was the editor-in-chief of HoneyMag.com. Mm-hmm. And my bestie has always been, like, you know, the greatest, like, pub- publicist ever. Like, she's a total background <laughs> girl, but she wants, every- she wants to tell everyone else about all the amazing things her friends are doing. So she told mm-hmm. the editor about me, and then she called me over and was like, this is the girl I was telling you about. And she was like, you know, oh, what's your, what's your column about? Because we didn't call them blogs back then. And so I was like, oh, you know, I write about dating and relationships and, you know, just my thoughts about different things. It's kind of like, for lack of a better description, like a black younger Carrie Bradshaw. And she was like, sounds fascinating. I would love for you to write for honey. Um, so I didn't have a name for it. You know, I was just posting it in in a random place. So she was like, come up with a name and send me your picture in your first blog post. So it took me a few days to come up with a name. I sent her over, you know, a blog post and she was really excited. She, I'll say this when they posted the blogs, they put it in a back section, a back section, a a back page of the site. So it wasn't on the main page. And so I clicked on the site and I was like, oh, nobody's going to read this. It's way in the back. But, you know, I'm talking about dating and relationships. Maybe that's not something that people are interested in. And maybe a day or so after it went up, the editor called me and she was really excited. And she was like, oh my gosh, like 4,000 people read your blog. I'm going to move it to the front page. And instead of doing once a week, could you do twice a week? Um, You know, I'm really excited about it. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay, like, that's great. I didn't know. I'm thinking in terms of, like, you know, big readership numbers. You know, I'm writing for these major magazines, so I'm used to, you know, numbers like a million something or 800,000 or something like that. So I'm like, oh, 4,000 is cool. Like, that doesn't even register to me that that's, like, a big number for your Mm -hmm. first blog post. Um, But it was doing really well, and it was getting a lot of comments and a lot of clicks. The editor was really happy. It went from two two times a week to three times a week, so every other day. And I got an assignment um, for this magazine called The Av, and I interviewed Mm -hmm. this woman who worked at Essence. And... You know, I was introducing myself to her and I was like, hey, I'm, I'm so-and-so and I'm working with the Av and, you know, thanks for blah, blah, blah. And she's like, you're the girl that does like the Abel in Brooklyn blog, right? And I was like, yeah, like, oh my gosh, like, how do you know? And she's like, the whole office reads it. Like everyone reads that blog. Wow. That's all we talk about. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, That's amazing. Yeah. And funnily enough, she's the one when the relationship editor position opened at Essence, Mm -hmm. she gave me a call and was like, hey, there's an opening for a relationship editor. I think you would be great. Like we all read your blog. We're familiar with your work. You Mm -hmm. know, you should you should apply for the position and, you know, let me know if you need help. I'll do 
what I can. And I just started writing for Essence as a freelancer. Um, mm-hmm. So I leveraged every relationship that I had. Right. Like I called everybody, all the editors I worked with, you know, somebody at Essence mm-hmm. called them and tell them I want this job. Like help me, help me help myself. So. Okay. So it was, so it wasn't even like a question. You weren't on a fence. You were like, oh yes, definitely. This is what I want to do. Well, I did. I really did want the job at Essence. Um, mm-hmm. One of the reasons that I had gone into book publishing as opposed to journalism or a magazine starting out was the pay is better in book publishing. And it's not to say the pay is good, but the pay is better starting out in book publishing than it is mm-hmm. in magazine publishing. Right. So I actually took a pay cut when I went to Essence and that was a really big thing. So when you work in house at a magazine, you can't freelance anymore. So I was mm-hmm. working at Harlequin and they didn't care, you know, what I did with my free time as long as I met my deadlines for my books. So I was freelancing all over the place. And I was making a whole bunch of extra income, but with essence, I would not be able to do that. So that was, um, that was definitely something that gave me pause, but I thought long run wise, I could, I don't know, I could make something out of that position (laughs) and I wasn't really sure what, but I I thought it would take me places that I never imagined. So, you know, let me figure this out and, and take the pay cut. Yeah. So when so when you got there, this was obviously an opening. Somebody was there um, in that position before. But were there like established guidelines as to this is what a relationship editor does or talks about? Or because they were familiar with your work, did you have free reign to create a new look and feel or um, or just vibe for that section? Well, there were certain quote unquote pages in place. So you have like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what men think or sex and love or a dating column. I think it was with finesse when I first started. So -hmm. those things were already in place, but I could pitch, um, you know, for what men think I could pitch the questions that I wanted to ask. And then the guys that we interviewed and the answers that we used. So there was a little more freedom Mm -hmm. there or the, the Q and a, not, well, not the Q and a, the, um, the column for the guys, I would pick the questions that I wanted the guys, the male expert to answer. So there was a little Mm -hmm. freedom in that sense. Um, but I definitely did pitch, you know, all the stories that I would kind of write for a bell in Brooklyn. I pitched them Mm -hmm. and my bosses at first were like very, I wouldn't say alarmed, but they were just like, I mean, that's not very, you know, that's a, that's a lot for essence, you know, mm-hmm. so maybe we mm-hmm. dial that back like four notches, like let's take that from a 10 to a six and make mm-hmm. it palatable for, you know, our Bible Belt audience. Cause that's the, the core of the magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there was definitely some of that, but over time, I think as, as the reader got more comfortable, I, I'm a little quirky. I'm a little whimsical. I say like, you know, sort of somewhat inappropriate things sometimes as they got mm-hmm. more, a, comfortable, I think, with my style, my voice or my editing style, um, I was able to sneak a few more things in there. So like the single man of the month, like I lobbied for that for like a good 18 months before my boss was like, fine, fine. One time (laughs) we're going to put this naked man or half naked man in the magazine. And Dimitri, I swear, if people start canceling subscriptions, I was like, nobody's canceling subscriptions over a half naked man. It's just not going to happen. Right. I remember, I remember those columns too. And I remember that that's when you first got on my radar, actually, because people were talking about what you were doing, not like, oh my God, this is scandalous. But finally, like, you know, we, we kind of want to, we want that type of content. So that's when, you know, I started noticing and obviously I read the magazine. So I was just like, oh, OK, you know, he's cute. And I, I think you, you were kind of like setting, setting the guys up on dates and stuff. 
Um, yes. <laughs> so, so we were, uh, me and my friends, like, I remember I was talking like, okay, so you email this one. I'm going to get, you know, the one for June. Um, but it was like, a, it was like a whole thing. So definitely you, sh- you probably already noticed, but you definitely had an, an impact there. Um, but how long were you at Essence before? Cause I know around the same time you were gearing up for the release of the first book. Like, was that an immediate thing or was it kind of like a something that you know came gradually no that that definitely came gradually and that was not my purpose i guess in going to essence okay. writing a book was something that i thought of as a very far off fantasy for like when i'm like i don't know 45 or 50 you know mm-hmm. i didn't mm-hmm. think like i'd be like 30 with a book deal that was crazy to me right. um but I, when I was working at Essence, um, I had to take a Bell in Brooklyn off Honey Mag because it's a competitive magazine. You can't write for two mm-hmm. publications at the same time. So I, I put a Bell in Brooklyn on my own site. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was still writing for a Bell in Brooklyn, and, and those numbers were doing really well. I was still working at Essence. Um, I'm glad that you mentioned that you loved the section because it had become number one for the front of the book of, of mm-hmm. the magazine. And everyone was talking about it. I was doing tons of interviews. It was getting a lot of um, attention and press. And my boss, who was super, super supportive of everything I was trying to do, um, not always the ideas, but me in general, um, mm-hmm. she she sort of rewarded me with a, a column for the magazine and my mm-hmm. readers on a bell in Brooklyn. And I love them to death because they pushed me to do like all sorts of stuff. Like, you know what you should do? You should be doing <laughs> X, Y, Z. Um, but they were like, you need to have a book deal. Like, I don't understand why this, this needs to be a book. Cause you're, you're giving away all this free content. This needs mm-hmm. to be a book because I would pay to read these crazy stories because your life is nuts and you're nuts. <laughs> and I would, I would read this for, I would pay to read this. Uh-huh. So, um, I, I did some, column for essence. Um, I think I went on like a bunch of blind dates and the Washington post covered it. So I got this, you know, there was the essence push with the column. I had Mm -hmm. a a big story in the Washington post. I had taped, um, I was an expert on a reality show called let's talk about pep. So So she was getting hooked up on dates. And so all of this stuff was sort of coming out around the same time. Mm -hmm. And I figured like I had a platform and from working in book world, I knew that that was, you know, I don't know, four fifths of, of how you get a book deal is like, you know, right. that's a really great book. How are you going to sell it? Cause that's what really mm-hmm. matters. Um, I thought I was in a good place to, to pitch a book. And because I'd worked in book publishing for a while, you know, I knew how to put together a proposal and who to reach out to. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I met with, um, some mentors and some, some people who, some editors who worked in the business. And I, I pitched my book idea and, um, Simon and Schuster, Atria specifically bought the book. Mm hmm. So you basically did all that groundwork on your own. So they didn't approach you. You kind of just kind of saw this as like the here's here's my opening. I definitely have what it takes to make this happen. I know it can happen. And then you just kind of put the plan in motion. I mean, I would love to say in retrospect that like, oh, I knew this was destined. I knew it was going to happen. Like, I had no idea. It I was looks pitch the so book. strategic, like, <laughs> though. Like, it, like, looking at, I mean, from my vantage point, which is obviously just in an external distant view, it's like, damn, this girl's smart as hell. Like, like, just the way everything came together, it looks like that was like the plan. I have a knack for making mm-hmm. the most out of whatever situation I find myself in. Right. But I can't say that any of it was like strategically planned. Like I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this and I'm going to be do this. And then that, like, I just sort of figure it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. But yeah. So, so 
I, I pitched that book. Like there's, there's okay. rarely, unless you're like super, super famous or super, super infamous, does a, a publisher come calling and say, hey, we want to work with you or do a book right. or an agent call and say, hey, I want to whatever. Like you, you have to take initiative for that. That's a great tip because I think a lot of people, especially in this day and age, they kind of feel they'll sit and wait for people to reach out to them. And then if nobody reaches out, they kind of feel like, okay, well, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm inadequate. And it's like, they don't even know you're out there. Like you're great, but they, they can't see you. Um, so I, I love that advice about taking initiative and, and being proactive. So at this point, you know, we have the book deal in motion, your column at essence is you're killing it. It's being read every month by millions of women. It's an incredible platform. And for most writers and you know, that, that's kind of like the dream and that's kind of enough. But at what point did you decide, you know what, I think I want a little bit more. Uh, my book dropped and <laughs> okay. I was doing a, a, a lot of, of speaking engagements and it wasn't mm-hmm. my intent to, to leave Essence. Like I loved that job. Like my job literally consisted of like tracking down fine men and interviewing them about like mm-hmm. random Whatever. You read the column. You know what it was. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a great, great, great job. But mm-hmm. my book dropped and I was working. I was running myself ragged trying to promote the book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your book coming out, you only have a very small window to make a huge impact mm-hmm. and get people to pay attention to it. So mm-hmm. I was trying to work a, you know, in essence, it's really not a 40 hour week job. It's more like for, like 55, 60. So I'm trying to work a full time job. I'm trying to do my press engagements. I'm trying to keep up with my blog. I'm trying trying to answer Ask FM questions. I'm trying to be present on social media. I'm trying to, you know, go out to all the bright parties that you're supposed to be seen at in order for, you know, people to think you're an it girl doing whatever, you know, just all, all the great pressures of, you know, promoting yourself or, or mm-hmm. your product. And I was tired. I was tired. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was doing like a lot of speaking engagements. And just to be quite frank, like I was making way better money than I was at my day job. Right. And I didn't want to leave. If I could have figured out a way to do all the speaking stuff and do all the Essence stuff, I'd probably still be sitting at Essence right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it boiled we're, down we're in, to. Hold on. We're in NYC, guys. So that's oh, just your oh, lovely. I didn't even hear it. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and that's your pro. That happens to me literally every, every time I do an episode. It's like, okay, well, this is where we are. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah, it's that, that's life. Yeah, the window's not even open. That's that. <laughs> so, okay, so you were tired and you were just like, okay, this is, you were making more money at the speaking gigs and. Yeah, to stay at Essence, I would have been losing money. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I could do a speaking engagement for, for XYZ and it was, you know, that was my two month salary to speak for a day um, or right. speak for a couple hours. And just, um, you know, in terms of time investment and what I wanted to do, you know, book wise, brand wise, um, I, I had to leave. It was really that simple. That was a sad day. <laughs> so, okay. And, and it's so interesting because a lot of people, when they make that transition out of their job, it's kind of like, thank you, Jesus, <laughs> you know, for answering my prayers. But you really, you really love that position. And it was clearly a, a great place for you. But as you're doing, you know, the book drop, you're doing speaking engagements, you're out and about doing a lot of different things. What were some of those key things that you did to build your personal brand? at that time or to just strengthen um, who people uh, saw you as during that time? Well, to promote my book, I started an Ask FM page Mm -hmm. and my initial thought with it would be uh, sort of like an online 
frequently asked questions or an ask the author sort of thing, like an online book club. And people would read the book. And if they had follow-up questions about the book, they could ask me there. So that's sort of what I put that out there as. Like, come join the sort of online book club thing, find the answers to all of your questions about A Bell in Brooklyn. And so Mm -hmm. that lasted for maybe all of a week, 10 days. And then people were like, yeah, your book was really great. But what I really want to know is I'm dating this guy and, and people started asking, you know, relationship questions, relationship and dating questions. And I was like, Oh, okay. And I was like, I guess I did write an advice book to people Mm -hmm. who want advice. This makes sense. So ask FM was definitely one of them. Um, I didn't start Instagram. Like my very first Instagram post is my book, like I guess the early version of my book. So I finally got on Instagram, which wasn't that old then. It was only like a year old. Mm -hmm. So there was definitely that. Um, Made a conscious effort to tweet more, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, go out and be seen, like all the basics, like the radio stuff and the TV stuff. Like a lot Mm -hmm. of that came through my job, but I had a personal publicist who was was working specifically on me and the book. And then there was the book publicist via um, Simon and Schuster. So it was Mm -hmm. a lot of people working in tandem to, you know, make the book pop. So I had the support of Essence, the support of my publicist, the support of an in-house publicist. There was a lot it's going the on. The group effort. But what, yeah. what about the, the Cocktails with Bell events? Because I know you did a number of those and I thought that was really smart. Was that a part of that strategy or was that just something for you to kind of get out and, and meet the people? No, Cocktails with Bell started in, I want to say December 2000. Nine. That's when I first got my. Oh wow! So column. way before. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I okay. I just got my column in Essence, and the first cocktails with Bell was kind of like a celebration of mm. of the column, and I had a you mm. know I had advanced copies of the the magazine. It was really exciting, um, mm. and I also just wanted to meet my readers because like you. I talk about stuff online all day and the same core group of people would be in the comment section. And so I would post stuff and I'd be like, Oh, he's going to say this. She's going to say that. (laughs) And then he's going to respond with this. Like in every once in a while, there'd be a new person who throws a wild card, but you really start to learn how not so much people, but these screen names think. Right. And you start to like, you know, like, Oh, I I identify with her. He drives me crazy. I know she's going to say some next ish. Like, Mm -hmm. but I really just wanted to see like, who are these people that are like talking to me and talking to each other all the time. Mm-hmm. So that's how Cocktails with Bell got started. Well, I didn't even realize that that, would, that had preceded uh, the book, but that's, that's probably how smart <laughs> you are, again, um, with, with just everything that you were doing. So this is all happening. And, you know, the book is out. It's, it's successful. You had a lot of, um, you know, just, it was like group effort behind you to, to push the book and make it a success. But was, it, was there anything that surprised you about that process or, or was you know, were you just kind of in it? Was it a whirlwind? It was a whirlwind. Um, I I think, you know, I follow celebrities on Instagram and I watch, you know, tons of MTV back in the day. And so you see celebrities or musicians on tour and it looks so exciting and so fun. Um, I loved the actual cocktails with Bell events. I loved going on TV. I loved doing the radio, but all the behind the scenes and the travel and the coordination of everything, Mm -hmm. it I, I've never worked so hard in my life. Mm. I, I, I took a week off to, um, and only a week to, to promote my book. Cause I only had so many mm. vacation days and, you know, I did an event the day the book dropped in Brooklyn and then 
no, the day before the book dropped, I did an event. My uh, my friend let me borrow his duplex to do like a, a salon series for the book, or whatever. So a private gathering, and then the next day there was a bookstore reading, and then the day after that there was another bookstore reading uptown, and then there was a party afterward, and then I got on a train and I went to D.C. and then there was radio and there was TV, and then there was an event that night, and then the next morning I got on a plane to go to Atlanta and did it all over again, and then no, that was Tuesday. Yeah, I went back to work on Monday. You know. Okay, um, yeah. I'm ex- I'm exhausted hearing that. <laughs> it was, and then you know I went to LA for the BET Awards to promote it, and then right after right. the BET Awards, like I fly back, switch out my suitcase, and then I fly to Essence to promote it. And you know I'm working Essence Festival because I'm an editor at Essence, but then I'm also promoting my book at Essence Festival. I might have slept like six hours the whole weekend. Um, yeah, so it was it was a lot, and I you know I know this is one of those first world problems. Like how dare you complain about how exhausted you were on on tour? But it's just something mm-hmm. that I think people should be aware of that it's right. not all pretty pictures and you know interviews and you know stuff like that it's um right it's actual it's, work it's, it's work it's, it's actual work and then being on because god forbid you're trying to sell a book and you've got like a sour disposition or you look tired and yeah you know your best single life but you look depressed like that's, that's not gonna <laughs> work really right. well that, that's not the brand yeah okay. <laughs> okay so at this time you're you know once you left essence you are now a full-time entrepreneur a lot of people entrepreneurship is sexy right now a lot of people want to do it Um, a lot of people are freelance writing or in a similar field as you can you talk about the different your different streams of income you mentioned the book already obviously you're still freelance writing at this time and you had speaking gigs was did that kind of make up um, your your income or were there other things that you did to supplement that so at the time when I left Essence, so I understand, like, I, I without getting into numbers, I had a mm-hmm. pretty good book advance. Right. So okay. I didn't leave Essence, like, broke. Like, just like, oh, okay. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I had a, a good book advance that, you know, would last me, like, a, a year and a half if I didn't work at oh, all. Okay. Right? Nice little cushion. Nice little cushion. Um, but I was also, the idea of not having a job, like, it was the first time I'd never had a full-time job in my life. So like the last Mm -hmm. 10 years I've been working like nonstop and I usually had a full-time job, a side job, and then a side hustle on top of that, you Mm -hmm. know? So leaving Essence, even with a cushion, um, and even when I left Essence, I was writing for Essence.com five days a week. I was a columnist oh, for the wow. website. Okay. So I had that. And then right before I left Essence, I picked up a column at the root. So I have one or five, yeah, five days a week on Essence and then mm-hmm. one day a week on the root. And then I think twice a week on Vibe, something else on Clutch. Like at one point I was publishing like eight or nine stories okay, a week. So you weren't playing. Basically. Yeah, I wasn't. Okay. I don't believe in broke. Like okay. I'll, I'll work I'll <laughs> do 24 hours. I'll do 48 hours. But I don't believe in broke at all. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I was just sort of like, I have to keep this pace because I'm like, well, you know, what if. And I don't remember what I was thinking at the time, but I'm like, what if something happens? Like, I don't want to go broke and I don't want to, you know, quit my job and be like a failure. And everyone's like, oh, because people said I was a dumbass for leaving Essence anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't want to be I didn't want to prove them right. Right. So. Um, so I was working. I was working my ass off. I was writing. I was still doing a bunch of speaking engagements. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I don't think I I mentioned this, but I also became a life coach right before I left Essence. Um, Shortly after I launched my Ask FM, everyone was asking me dating and relationship questions. And I take that role of, you know, answering people and helping people very seriously. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make sure I was being effective in my approach. 
So okay. I went to life coaching school. I took some of my book, Advanced Money, and went to life coaching school, um, wow. became a life coach. So I was actually coaching as well. So there, there was mm-hmm. a lot going on to make sure okay. that like everything stayed afloat. So how did you manage all of that? Are you, because I mean, what you do is very personal, right? It's, it's very much your thoughts, your opinions. So how do you manage all of those many different things? Did you have a team? Did you have like an assistant, somebody, anybody? <laughs> um, at various times I've had assistants. All of them have been okay. really dope. Um, okay. But in terms of like the writing stuff, like I'm the only person that can write it, you know, right, like I can't absolutely. have somebody else like write it and then put my byline on it. That's like unethical as a journalist. Right. Um, no, I set aside days for different things. So, you know, like mm-hmm. Tuesday, I would write three pieces a day. And then the other days of the week, I think it was only like one or two assignments. So Tuesday, I didn't leave the house. Like I got up at 8 a.m. and I, I wrote until like midnight. Um, mm-hmm. It just was what it was. And the other days of the week, it wasn't so bad because it was only like one or two stories. I can knock that out before noon. Um, Wednesday was coaching day. So mm-hmm. that's all I would do for, I shouldn't say all I would do, but like I would have, um, my coaching clients like back to back to back to back on, on Wednesdays only. And people figured it out in their schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the speaking engagements, I couldn't speak on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. That just was what it was. I tried to do stuff on weekends as often as possible, but if not Thursday mm-hmm. or Friday, um, yeah, you just, you so very disciplined in your schedule. Yeah. Okay. So all of all the things that you mentioned, and, and this is this is going to be important for anybody listening to this. How did you go about finding and securing those other gigs or, or side hustles or side jobs to ensure that you kept the money coming in? Um, I asked, <laughs> to be quite honest. Like there were there were a bunch of other websites. You know, I, I had a, a good platform mm-hmm. back then. I think I had like 20,000 followers on on Twitter, which at the time was like really good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was attractive to, to, uh, sites, you know, they know that you right. have a built in audience. Like you post something, you know, I wrote X, Y, Z for the root. I wrote X, Y, Z for vibe, you know, people go there. Um, mm-hmm. and also I think, I mean, I I'd established myself as someone who knows how to write. Like I've been in the industry long enough where you knew what my byline was, you knew what I talked about and you knew that, you know, with rare exception, I, I delivered an on time. So it right. wasn't so much of a gamble to, um, to work, to work for people to work with you. Okay. Yeah. Um, was there ever a time or during these last five to six years that you've been uh, a full-time entrepreneur that you felt like, okay, oh shit, like, what am I doing? I need to add some other things to the mix um, in order to, to kind of keep the, maintain your standard of living. Or was there ever a moment where you were like, you know what, I might need to go back to essence or, or find an, another job. Um, absolutely. I think any entrepreneur that says otherwise is lying. Um, <laughs> like it, it, the way it works with like, sometimes you're really flush. Like sometimes like everyone's calling, everyone wants to work with you, you know, and they're mm-hmm. putting crazy money on the table where you'd be a fool to walk away from it. Right. right. And then other times like the phone is just not ringing and you're sending out emails and you're pitching and you're, you know, tap dancing for your change and people just are not interested. Budgets have dried up. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, as things go up and down with the economy, the first thing that gets cut is anything creative for those budgets. Right. Um, so, you know, like the brands that I work with, you know, they had, they were flushed one year when, well now stuff ain't selling like it used to. So now we don't have the same budget. So we want you Mm -hmm. to do more work for less money. And, you know, nobody wants to do that or in terms of writing, you know, they don't have the same budget. So, you know, you have a a, a column that's five days a week and then it gets cut to three. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, a new editor in chief comes and they want to put their own person into a columnist spot. Like you're dope, but you know, you've been here forever. We want fresh voices, fresh blood, fresh, whatever. So 
you know, there were definitely times where I thought like everything's gravy. And then it's just like, yeah, so we're not going to be doing the column anymore. Or it was two days a week. Now it's one day a week. You know, mm-hmm. it's, you know, there's definitely ups and downs. Um, the one thing that has been consistent is the coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. You know, it is very interesting. Like I technically, you know, I, I build myself as a relationship and, and dating coach. And mm-hmm. I also do, you know, business stuff as well. And people in general don't feel comfortable paying for dating and relationship advice. They're comfortable asking, mm-hmm. but they don't feel comfortable paying for it. So a lot of people sign up under the guise of like, they want help with starting a business or a blog or marketing. And then branding, they ask about something they like that. Exactly. We talk about that for all of 10 minutes. And then they're like, so I had another question for you. And then they segue. So, you know, it's, that's, that's been pretty consistent um, when my time is available to do it. Yeah. And was the transition in, in the midst of all that you just mentioned, was the transition uh, to being an entrepreneur difficult for you? And if so, like how how was it difficult or was it just like uh, this is just a new version of what I've already been doing? Um, How was it? It was. I mean, it took me a long time to not feel what's the word almost like guilty Mm. for for not having a nine to five or not like working my ass off all the time because that's what that's right. the only thing I knew right. um and it's like so you had this good job it with benefits and you just gonna quit this job and and do what and write and travel like how like, dare you how dare you yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah that was um that was something that took me a long time to come to terms with and like even after I quit for like the first I don't know, three years, I would still get up at like seven 30 every morning and, you know, get mm-hmm. dressed and go to a coffee shop. Like I just, like the days that I stayed home, like if I was sick or something, if I stayed home in my sweatpants and dirty hair, like I, mm-hmm. I just felt guilty. Like I should be doing more. Like how, how dare I, you know, Did you, um, was that guilt that you put on yourself or were there other people kind of maybe saying things that made you feel that way? No, that was totally on myself. Most of my friends are actually entrepreneurs. That's what okay. kind of gave me like the final push to mm-hmm. to go. Because um, mm-hmm. then I think a lot of people have this idea of entrepreneurship is like everyone's broke and struggling. Right. Um, but I'd had many friends who, you know, quit their jobs to do various things. Like my best friend, you know, he used to be a music executive and then he was also a DJ, you know, cause mm-hmm. he loves music. And so, you know, he decided to do DJing full time. And then he decided he was going to start an audio company. Cause every time he went someplace, it was always an issue with where they're going to get the, the speakers from. Mm-hmm. So he was like, I'm gonna take my DJ money and find some speak and buy some speakers. And so now he's, you know, he supplies the music and the sound. Um, mm, but every time I would see him, like, you know, he got like a, a, a new watch, like, a, <laughs> you know, a new couch, like, mm-hmm. you know, a new car. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, okay. Like he's doing all right. And then another one of my friends, um, she was also a writer. She quit to become a comedian Mm -hmm. and and she's really funny. So it wasn't like, it was like, you're going to do what? Um, (laughs) But she would, she would quit. She was going to say she would, because she did this multiple times. Like she she had a great Mm -hmm. job and she quit to become a comedian and she would, she would pursue that until she worked through her savings. And then she would go get another job and she would hold that real quick until she got her money back up. And then Mm -hmm. she would quit again and go back and forth, you know, like it was different Mm -hmm. ways of making it work, but nobody was on that, you know, like, Oh, you know, can I borrow, you know, money for rent or anything like that? Like everybody somehow made it work. And I was like, okay, so maybe this isn't as hard as I thought, you know, and they gave me really great advice. Like when you're flush, do not go ball out and spend all your money, like save that because lean times definitely will come. So, right. Yeah. 
That's a good point. And to, to kind of continue on this uh, tangent, so I often talk with my guests about the loneliness of entrepreneurship. And clearly you had a network of people around you who had, you know, who had experience in this area. But did you ever experience that loneliness of entrepreneurship? Like, you know, people not necessarily understanding what you're going through or the things that you're dealing with? Or was it never like that? Um, my friends got it. Okay. You know, like even in moments, like I was really insecure, like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, other people were like, if you ever notice, like the people who really worry about, you know, where's my life going? What is my direction? They're the people you really don't worry about mm-hmm. because they're actually dedicating time to thinking about it and they're trying to do something. So they're going to figure it out somehow. It might take some time, but they're going to be okay. So my friends weren't really that concerned about like, you know, is she going to make it? Is she going to whatever? Like if worse came to worse, then I would just go get another magazine job, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but my parents didn't really get it for like a really long time. They were like, I don't mm-hmm. understand. Like, how you going to leave Essence? Like, if you lost <laughs> your mind, like Essence. Right. Right. Um, they just, just, it, they couldn't fathom it. Um, so in that sense, it felt mm-hmm. a little like, you know, like, cause as a, I'm an only child, like, you know, I'm really close okay. to my parents. I, I do mm-hmm. want to, make them happy to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, them not getting it was bothersome sometimes, but, um, but in general, my friend circle was, you know, pretty supportive. You said something really, really interesting and that really resonated with me in, in your answer to that. You said the people, and I just correct me if I'm getting this wrong, but the people who are usually like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I'm not sure, you know, what's going to happen to me are usually the people that aren't worried about. Or, you know, that your friends knew, and maybe this was something that you were saying, but your friends knew, like, you were always going to be good. Is is that what you said? Yeah. Like, whatever I was trying to achieve, not to say that I was going to get it, that it was going to happen, but I wasn't going to hit rock bottom. Right. Because the people who... Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, like, the people who really stress out about... What am I doing? What is this going to look like? How am I going to achieve? Like you're spending a lot of time thinking about what to do. And usually the people who are really that concerned about it aren't just thinkers. They're also doers. So they're Mm -hmm. trying different things. They're throwing stuff out there to see what will stick. And something eventually will stick. You know, it might not be the way you thought it was going to happen. It might not be exactly what you envisioned, but it'll be something along the lines of what you were looking for because you put a lot of effort and energy and action into getting this thing that you want. So why you're a life coach, because (laughs) the the reason I asked you that is because I'm like, wait, does she know my life? Because I am that person. Like I've had my PR firm for six years now. I've been a full time entrepreneur that entire time. And I there are times where I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Why, what is going on? Why did I choose to do this? And then it infuriates me when the people in my life are like, you'll be fine. Yeah, like you know, you'll be fine. You're, 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 you are you in the way you do things. It's like we know you're going to kind of figure it out. So it was so interesting to just hear that reflected back the way you said it because I'm like, oh, that's okay. So maybe I don't have to like kill them for for just because it feels dismissive when you're in that space when people Mm -hmm. are like, girl, like come on now you've gotten this far so people were doing that to you like Demetria like 
come you're Demetria Lucas like you're going to be good that's yeah that means nothing I just had one of those like what am I doing with my life how am I going to accomplish anything of of worth like last week like (laughs) I'm talking about you know I called my my mentor who was like my Mm -hmm. professor in grad school and I'm like I'm Mm -hmm. what am I doing I'm not accomplishing Mm -hmm. anything and he was Mm -hmm. like you sound crazy okay Yeah. That is that is so interesting. I'm, I thank you for saying that in that way. I know you you didn't know um, about the backstory, but that's just a really interesting, and I'm sure it will resonate with other people as well, and hopefully give them a little bit of comfort to know that you know if you're spending that much time thinking about that, then you're you're probably well on your way. Yeah. So one of the things that, you know, entrepreneurs or just freelancers in general just face is, you know, having to, when you work a job, there's certain things are that are a given. You know when your checks are going to come, you know when that direct deposit is going to hit, you, you know what your employee contract, so to speak, is. But when you set up your own kind of shop, everything's on you. So have there ever been any moments where you've had to like boss up on somebody in order to like either get your money or to just make sure that you were being treated fairly? Uh, yes. I mean, there's always the, as a freelancer, you know, like the check is allegedly on the way. And then like (laughs) a week later, the check hasn't arrived. So, mm-hmm. you know, you write the, the kind, inquisitive email and then you write like the sterner email mm-hmm. um, and you start sending it every three days and then you threaten <laughs> to get your lawyer. Like, yes, that has absolutely okay. happened. Okay. Um, but I've always, you know, kept a a job that had direct deposit, not okay. a job, but whatever, a contract, or whatever. So I'm a contributing mm-hmm. editor for the route. And I don't think they would care if I say that, but they, di- they direct deposit. And so does Essence. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, every two weeks, if I remember to turn my invoices in on time, right. then a check is going to be deposited. So it was never, um, that was never a concern. I never had a, how am I going to eat? How am I going to pay the rent? Like I always, right. you know, save and have enough stashed away where I'm like good to live in case like everything dries up all at once, all of the sudden. So a, um, a, a common thread in just this interview is that you don't fuck around when it comes to your money. Like no, at all. no one should. Okay. Okay. No. okay. Cause that is, if there's anything that's clear, <laughs> it's that you're not playing with your money. And I think it's, imp- you know, it, we, we're laughing, but it's very important because we're so kind of like shy when it comes to just money in general. We don't talk about it. We, we shy away from it, even if we're out here busting our ass to earn it and to get it so I hope that people are like really listening to you and you like you don't play no No. like and was that something that were you always like that or did something happen to make you be like okay never again will I be in that position uh I mean my father is is my my, my mother's an accountant so take that into account Um, but my father is really like good with money really smart with money and Mm -hmm. um you know, he'll, he's my dad. So he's just very like, well, how much, how much, how much you make for that? That's all. Or, you know, like, like really dad, really I'm out here. And he was like, you should ask him for blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, well, I can't ask for that. Blah, blah, blah. And he was like, why can't you? All I can say is no. Um, Mm, and so, you know, you, you give it a whirl one time and be like, okay, well, you know, this is, you know, we can pay you X, Y, Z. And be like, actually for this, my usual rate is X, Y, Z plus A, B, C. And you'd be surprised at how many people will be like, okay. Right. And then just like, because well, you asked. I should have asked for the whole alphabet since you just right. saying, okay, like that. Um, right. 
but yeah, like I'm really upfront. Um, I, I don't have a problem saying no. Like people ask me to do things and, mm-hmm. you know, we want you to, you know, post all this and write a blog and shoot a YouTube video. We want to pay you a hundred dollars. No, like right. that's too much Period. damn work. No, like, right. well, let me tell you what I can offer you for that amount. And at this point it's nothing, but it's, um, <laughs> right. you know, like it, you got to be reasonable and so you don't have to be um, you shouldn't be afraid to walk away. Now, if you really need the money and it's a matter of rent, then, you know, you do what you got to do. But if right. you're in a, a comfortable space and you don't have to work for less than you deserve, mm-hmm. don't. Because you do, I've done it. Obviously, I've done it before. And I've right. done it. And, like, they don't value you the same way because they know they're mm-hmm. underpaying you and they think you're simple because you right. should have asked for way more. And you feel like you're doing way too much. And so you resent them. And everyone's Nobody's just happy. unhappy. You know? Right. Right. So and in that kind of that same lane, because you you mentioned something like, you know, there's obviously your rate has gone up. The rate has gone up, y'all. The rate has (laughs) gone up. Yeah. Not 2007 starting out. Yes. So how do you go about those rate increases? Like you're putting in the work. But how do if if you a lot of the publications that you've written for, you have long relationships with them. So some of them get comfortable and used to paying you a certain fee. But when you come in with that new agreement and it's it's a couple more o's on that <laughs> how do you do that it's a numbers game like you present okay. them with you know like i i wrote this for you and it got like a million hit like literally a million okay. hit like right. you, you go tell me i can't get an extra 50 dollars like right um you know and i obviously don't present it like that you know of I'm course. Much more dignified with it because nobody <laughs> wants to talk too crazy but no you, mm-hmm. you really present them with numbers and like okay well you know here are these articles that i've written and they were picked up by xyz and i appeared on xyz show to promote this and this is what the value literally the value that i bring to the table mm-hmm. and so in exchange for that value i'm asking for xyz in return I love the way you just put that in it. And it made me think of something. A lot of people doing freelance writing, um, and I've done some in the past, they don't, every publication doesn't give you access to your own numbers. So in some cases you have to ask for it, but I love that you said that you're paying attention to the work that you're doing. A lot of people do the work and then kind of leave it up to somebody else where you're like, no, I, this month I wrote 30 articles for you. Here's what they were, you know, here's what they, what what numbers they did. Here's the publications that picked it up. So you've always been kind of proactive in that way. And I think that's a huge just lesson for other people who are very passive. Even if they're working really hard, they still are passive in just that hustle aspect of it. So I'm, I'm happy you said that. Yeah, well, so even if you you write for a publication and they don't give you the exact number, because everybody doesn't want to give you their internal numbers for good reason, because if you really knew your worth, you'd ask for a lot more. But if you share it on your Facebook page and it gets a bunch of shares or they share it on their Facebook page, you can see how many times it's been shared. You can see how many Mm -hmm. comments there are. You can see how many comments there are on the post. Um, A lot of sites, you know, they have like their top five must read news stories, something like that. I screenshot all that stuff. You know, hello, like, hello. Like, like we must have receipts, you know, right. like, you know, so, you know, like this is what I've done. You know, it stayed okay. as like the number one story for like two weeks. You know, mm-hmm. XYZ publication also shared it. I saw on your Facebook page, it got over a hundred shares or over a thousand shares. Um, yeah. All those numbers or even your personal numbers, you know, right. like I, I did a YouTube video on Janet Jackson and it got mm-hmm. 
more than a million um, impressions, you know? Right. So if you think I didn't screenshot that and send it out to everyone, like, oh, you know, my YouTube page and blah, 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 a million impressions, like, you should know what work that I'm doing and the numbers right. that I'm bringing in because those numbers translate into extra zeros. Right. And that, that's a great point. So to anybody listening to this, if say you work for in a company or a publication that is not giving you that doesn't give you access to that, use the numbers that are public. Use whatever is public. And if there are no numbers public, if people are commenting on it, screenshot the comments there you go. <laughs> and, and just send them a, a nice little collage. <laughs> yes. And, you know, just say, like, I thought these comments were really interesting. Like I compiled mm-hmm. these from, you know, these are six of the comments from the hundred and so on XYZ posts, right. you know, that I just thought were really interesting. Just thought I'd share, you know, right. just thought I'd share will get you so much. <laughs> right. <laughs> love, love those tips. So at this point in your life, you know, things are going pretty good. It's we're up to 2014 at this point, you've made your first foray into television and you're all, you also released your second book with so much going on. How were you able to juggle everything and still find time to write? Don't waste your pretty. Like I'm, I'm trying to like clock the 24 hours in a day based on everything you just said you were doing. How, where did you, how did you make that time? You you just make the time. Like it's got to come out. Um, but with don't waste your pretty, the first draft, the first, it wasn't even supposed to be a draft. It was supposed to be published. There was an original spring, uh, release date for don't waste Mm -hmm. your pretty and I think the day before it was set to come out like I just had to announce like it's not coming out tomorrow like and I didn't do pre-sales or anything like that so it wasn't Mm -hmm. like I took people's money and didn't deliver but Mm -hmm. I was just very candid like look like I I put together a book and I went and read it and I was like "Mm." and then my then fiance at the time he read it and he was like d like this isn't good And he was like, people will forgive you for pushing a book back. Like, you haven't taken their money, so you're not suckering them. But they'll forgive you for for pushing a release date. They won't forgive you for trying to sell them an inferior product. Mm. So he was like, just tell them, like, just be honest. Like, it just wasn't good. It wasn't up to par, and I don't want to sell you, like, a bum book. So I'm going to push this back by six months, and hopefully it'll be a better product. And, you know, I'm going to take some time off social media and and doing all these other things that I do to actually sit down and give you something of quality. And, you know, I thought people, I was expecting this huge backlash and people Mm -hmm. were like, cool, let us know the new date. And that was it. Because (laughs) he was right. Like people do, people respect honesty. If you don't know something, say you don't know it. And if, because by you saying that you were showing that you respected them, you know, so they're like, okay, girl, (laughs) we'll be here, you know, take, take your time. So that was really interesting. And because it was self-published, you had the freedom to do that. Like you didn't have that pressure of somebody being like, okay, I know this ain't your best, but we still got to get this out by, you know, by the deadline. So why did you decide to go the self-publishing route with the second book instead of, you know, partnering with your previous publisher or another one? Uh, so the first book came out and, you know, I'm on a major label and I'm super excited to be there, but I got Mm -hmm. the standard newbie author treatment. Mm 
Mm-hmm. You know, like as a writer in magazine world, like, you know, I've mm-hmm. got column and I'm an essence and, you know, like I've got rock star status, but mm-hmm. book publishing as an author is a whole different lane. And mm-hmm. they were like, that's nice. This is your first book. So, you know, we have XYZ budget and XYZ time allotted for PR. And mm-hmm. most of that is going to go to our senior most authors who have a dedicated history of selling. These are the ones that, you know, make sure all our bills get paid. So right. that's who we push and put most of our resources to. And we'll give you some. We're not going to neglect you, but Mm -hmm. you know, you're not a star author, so you don't get star treatment. That's just, it Mm -hmm. is what it is as a newbie. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of things that I thought that I was going to get working with a major publisher and nothing against, um, Atria, like it it was a beautiful process and and I love like my editors, um, there, but Mm -hmm. a lot of the star treatment that I thought, or the treatment, I'm star treatment, a lot of treatment I thought that I was going to get didn't. You know, Mm -hmm. like I, I had a publicist, but the publicist is working on several different books. She's got the other books that come out my month. And then she start working on the the books that are coming down the pipeline. So she's very overtaxed. So I had to hire my own publicist in terms of finding somebody to pay for the book tour because I wasn't paying it out of pocket. We had to go and find sponsors to pick that up. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of the work that had to be done came through my own resources for me, my mm-hmm. publicist, you know, the interns, like my husband, like, mm-hmm. you know, we're, it's all hands on deck to try to make this happen because we were like, Oh, we thought we were getting X. Okay. That's not going to how that works. You know? Right. Um, so we had to like figure it out very quickly. And so what Simon and Schuster did for me in 2011 that, you know, at the time wasn't really available. Um, they had distribution. They could mm-hmm. get me in bookstores, you know, okay. on iTunes, they could get me like the big interviews, stuff like that. Right. But by the time 2014 rolled around, you know, like I have this, you know, this large following on social media. Mm-hmm. Everyone's got, you know, Kindles and iPads. Most of my readers, you know, they right. read everything on their phone. They don't read newspapers or hardcover books anymore. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't necessary. Like I don't have to be in bookstores. You want a book, mm-hmm. you just order it off Amazon or right. Barnes and Noble or whatever. Or you download it to your phone and you literally read the book on your small screen of your phone. You know, you don't even have to have like an right. iPad. Yeah. So it was just the game had changed like drastically in three years and Mm -hmm. I just wanted to get the book out. So, you know, just, I'm going to send it out direct and it sold more than a bell in Brooklyn. So go figure. Wow. And look at, look at that. Interesting how that works. Um, But so what was the self-publishing process? Obviously you wrote the book, but then what? It's, How'd you get it printed? Because I know you did do printed uh, versions as well. Uh, what, what was yeah. that process like? So it was the learning curve of life. Like, <laughs> I like to think that I'm like a smart girl. Mm-hmm. And it was nothing super complicated. But it's just like, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And you're trying to learn it. And you're just like, what the hell is this? Mm-hmm. Um it was just, it was a lot of trial and error. Like I published it through Amazon marketplace. Like they did my printing. Mm -hmm. So that was the easy part, but you know, you got to lay the thing out. You got to pick fonts. You got to, you know, there's a font for a font for the the actual chapters, but then you need like a font for the chapter header, like a bunch of things that you never think about when you're reading a book. You just, you just flip the page and whatever. The cover, you know, my, one of my really good friends is a, is a designer. Thank God. You know, another friend is a photographer. So I was like, okay, I got to shoot this. Now I got to get it laid out. And, you know, me and the designer, were trying to go back and forth over email, trying to figure mm-hmm. out fonts. And finally I just picked up my laptop and walked down to his house and was like, okay, we're going to pick a font today. This, is, <laughs> this has been going on too long. Right. Um, it was just a really labor intense 
process that required more thought than I ever knew was possible. But, mm-hmm. you know, once you do it and you know how to do it, it's like the easiest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, brain surgeons think that's easy because they were trained how to do it. You know what you're doing. Right. But um, it is it was very much a learning curve. But now it's, you know, it's pretty easy. A piece of cake. So you've done it both ways. What would you recommend uh, for first time authors who are still, you know, somewhat on the come up, but maybe they have, uh, you know, somewhat of a platform as you did when you when your first book dropped? What do should they go self publishing route or should they try and sell it to a publisher? It depends on what your aim is. Mm-hmm. Um, the really good thing about not having about self-publishing mm-hmm. is you can drop the book any day that you want. You know, you write it, you format it, and you can drop it whenever. Mm-hmm. If you're going through a major publisher or any publisher, really, there's at least a year after before when you. So from the time you get signed to the time your mm-hmm. book comes out is at least a year, more likely 18 months, and it could be two years mm. just because they worked that far in advance in terms of, right. you know, promoting the book and all that stuff, um, layouts, all, all the, you know, the nuts and bolts of putting a book together. Um, so if timeliness is a factor, you know, if you want to get it out sooner than later, self-publish it. Mm-hmm. Um, going with a major publishing house, obviously the advance, that's very attractive. Um, mm-hmm. if you can get a, a, a good cushy advance to, to hold you over while you're actually working on the writing process of the book, that's great. They have more reach. I think if my first book had been self-published, like even working for Essence, you know, like I'm not going to land on the Today Show. I'm not going to get all the big interviews at that point right, right. Um, from that. But that, so working at Essence and the book coming out and the blog, you know, and the, you know, the, the first uh, reality show that I was on like that, mm-hmm. not even trifecta, whatever four things all working at once, Washington Post, five things working at once, um, you know, Ali ooped the success of the book and landing these, you know, cushy interviews that, you know, took right. me from being a writer to being, you know, on you know, huge platforms like the Today Show. Right. Okay. So want to switch gears a little bit and do a quick ask Dimitri a round of questions before we wrap up. Sure. So this is for the people. <laughs> what advice would you give to someone fresh out of undergrad or grad school who is looking to make a name for themselves in journalism or any other field? Write as much as you possibly can for as many publications as you can. You need to build your name so that people, you know, see your byline and associate it with something. And that takes years. Um, no matter how much you write, it just takes a really long time because there's so much content coming out, but you need to get your clips up. You need to Mm -hmm. get your contacts up in in terms of editors and such. And you need to build your social media presence because people want to know like, who is this person? Like, what what do they do? What do they think? What do they eat? Do they have a cat? Like these things matter to people, you know, like, but you get your social media numbers up. Your social media numbers will affect your, what your paycheck, what your check is. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what advice would you give somebody who's about three to five years into their career and they're looking to reposition themselves or position themselves for greater career success? You know, don't figure out what you want to do. Cause I, mm-hmm. I talk to people a lot who just want to be successful yeah. and it's like, well, what do you want to be successful at? Like you don't just become successful. Like you do something, you do right. the work and then the accolades from that come and then you're considered successful. So what do you want to do that you have to do a lot of and put in a lot of hours doing to eventually get the recognition for doing that? 
Okay. So speaking up and out doesn't seem to be an area that you need to work on. (laughs) You seem to to have that covered. But there are many women who do struggle with speaking up for themselves in the workplace or in business situations. What What could they do to gain more confidence in that area? Start with your personal relationships. Mm -hmm. So one of the reasons, I mean, I I like talking about relationships. I like the, you know, the dynamics, the ins and outs of all that stuff, Mm -hmm. but it's not just as simple as, you know, I want you to get married and have babies, you know, once you get accustomed to speaking up for yourself and your interpersonal relationships and you Mm -hmm. find success there, um, cause you will, once you start, you know, like these are my boundaries, this is what I want. You start asking for what you want. You'd be amazed at how the world responds to conspire, to give it to you most Mm of it. Um, but that translates into other aspects of your life. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. once you're comfortable being like, this is who I am and this is what I'm not going to do. You feel Mm -hmm. a lot more comfortable saying that at work. Like I'm not comfortable with X, Y, Z. I, you know, I want X, Y, Z. Like it's, it's, it's not just like, Oh, I do this in my relationships, but I do this in no other part of my life. Like you're developing your interpersonal skills and building your confidence in one place. And it transfers to others. It's not just about being like a, a good partner. Right. Okay. That's great advice. So you're no stranger to having people share their opinions about the things that you say and write about online. However, there have been many instances, you know, with celebrities or or even regular people where we see a comment section kind of take a turn (laughs) toward the negative. So if somebody finds themselves in that position, how do they, how can they prevent themselves from letting those things that people are saying affect their day-to-day life? Like, is there a way to shield yourself from that? Turn your notifications off. Stop reading that shit. Like, okay. like okay. you'll your sanity will be tested. Like reading all of the things that people say about you. Like, and mm-hmm. it's never all good. Like, you know, even right. for and it's the way people work. Like, fifty million people could be like, "Oh my god, you're amazing," and that one person who's like, "You're a c-word." Like, you're like, "Oh right. my god, why would you say that?" And that's what stands out. Right. Um, but it's best not to not to read it, avoid it if you can, if you mm-hmm. want to stay sane. Right. Okay. So any writers that are listening to this who want to, um, you know, freelance full time, aside from just writing, (laughs) what is the number one thing that they should focus on? Aside from just writing, you got to build the relationships, Mm, you know, that's that's everything because you know if you want to write for whatever magazine but you don't know anyone or know someone who knows someone there then you're just a, a random email you know and mm. there are 50 million good writers that's, that's one thing that the world does or 50 million people that think they are good writers mm-hmm. so your name is just another in in a in a long list but um if you know someone who can you know recommend you like hey this is my friend so-and-so she writes mm-hmm. for blah 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 or she's interested in you know if you can actually become a person as opposed to a name that always helps that's a that's great advice so if I'm trying to do that right say so I'm I'm reaching out to you how can I make even my request for or my initiate my initial email to like set up a relationship um maybe I want to take you to coffee or kind of do just a a quick intro call how can I make even that stand out because a lot of people just are just terrible (laughs) at writing these emails they're like hey girl uh you know loved your Instagram Instagram. you know can we talk can I want want to talk like how can I even make that stand out to begin a relationship with somebody so never call because people don't like talking on the phone anymore. Definitely don't text. Definitely don't be in their DMs and their Facebook, especially mm-hmm. if it's like their private personal page. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but find their actual work email and, mm-hmm. and send them a note and tell them a story. Mm. That's what people remember. It doesn't have to be the longest story ever, but if someone from the University of Maryland or NYU reaches out to me, because those are my mm-hmm. alma maters, I'm 99.9% likely going to respond to you. Right. Just because, like, I know that you've gone to, you've walked literally the same streets and campus mm-hmm. that I walked. You may have had the same professors. You've been in the same buildings. You might have lived in the same dorm. Like, mm-hmm. I know that you and I share a similar experience, so I'm going to at least respond and see what you right. want and what I can do to help. Um, if you are from Maryland, you know, mm-hmm. I'll probably do the same thing. If you're from Howard, even though I didn't go to Howard, but all my Maybe friends Howard, went to Howard. Went exactly. Howard. Everyone went to Howard. Yes. <laughs> are you going to do it? Are you going to yell H-U? Cause that's, no, it, it, I'm done. Okay. I'm done. Like, I'm I'm, done. I, I'm okay. practicing restraint. <laughs> okay. Th- thank, thank you. That's all y'all do. Y'all love that. Um, all my friends went to Howard. Like, my entire inner circle went to Howard. So if somebody from Howard reaches out, I kind of feel obligated because I'm, like, like, not yet an honorary bison, but it's on my bucket right. list. Right. Um, so basically find common ground. Yeah, find some okay. common ground. Yeah. Okay. So what can writers do to get a contributing um, co- or monthly column in a publication, digital or print? That comes after many, 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 many years of work. Of work. Um, or if you quickly amass a follow, even still for a big publication, if you amass a big following mm-hmm. quickly, if it's based off something of substance, mm. then you can get it. Okay. Okay. So again, social media numbers and just that digital community matters uh, to publishers. Okay. A couple more questions. So like, like you, most people have many different interests. So you're a writer and author. You're a relationships expert. You are a life coach. You had uh, a see some world travel blog at one point. You talked Still about fashion. It. Still have it. Still have it. I just operate off the hashtag more than the okay. blog. Yeah. You, you talk about fashion. You, you recently kind of revamped your, your YouTube page um, to provide yet another platform for us to, you know, get to know you and learn more about just the things that we're dealing with. But how can others pursue all of their passions without confusing their audience? Because when everything that you do fits very nicely into, you know, the Demetria puzzle, like nothing feels off. Like, what's she talking about? <laughs> like, nothing feels like, that, that way. You know, nothing feels that way um, with what you do. So how can others kind of, you know, do what they like to do, but not confuse um, their audience? So the first part of that is just to be authentic. Okay. Like I really am into dresses. It's not like a gimmick, you know, like I've, I've worn dresses almost every day since I was in college. Like, it's just like my thing. And I didn't know it was my thing until people started pointing out, Hey, that's your thing. I'm like, Oh really? I didn't really pay attention. <laughs> right. Um, but I like to travel. I like to, mm-hmm. I got into photography because my husband's into photography. So he's shooting all the time. And I'm like, okay, you and this camera, get me a camera. So now mm-hmm. I shoot all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're generally things that I'm interested in. And so I think it felt natural when I was like, okay, I'm going to focus on this for a while. The other thing is, is, you know, you, you, you know, the brand is the core of the brand is dating and relationships. That's what it'll always be. Mm-hmm. But you can introduce new things over time. So like, you know, ask Demetria, don't waste your pretty. And then I'm traveling all the time and I start using the hashtag see some world. So when I'm like, Oh, you know, I'm taking a break from dating and relationships. I'm going to talk about travel. People are like, okay. Like we used to talk, you talking about travel. It just wasn't all you talked about, but there was a small rebellion there. Like people were like, you're not just going to talk about travel. Like you will talk about (laughs) dating and relationships. Like we're going to give you a minute, but we're asking Demetria. Like it's been a month. You took some time off. That's awesome. (laughs) Wear 
are my questions. Like I rely on these questions. So, you know, you you know, you got to listen to your audience too. Like my audience Mm -hmm. tells me exactly what they want. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the Facebook page was like, we don't want video ask Demetria. We like to have our discussions. We don't like, we support this. We'll click on it to give you, you know, give you your hits, but you gonna just put the little square with the question and we're going to read it because that's what we've always done. And those are like the hardcore Abel and Brooklyn fans from 2007. So I'm like, okay, y'all told me what you want. This is what you get. Instagram people are like, so this, this is cute, but I like your questions because I want the videos because I want to see your reaction to this because you're like how I saw in my head, Mm -hmm. except crazier. So I want to see that. So bring that back. So you have to adapt to to different platforms. just listen to the audience. They'll tell you exactly what they want from you. Right. So you, and if they don't ask, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So at this point, you are about 10 plus years into your career. It's, you've definitely had a lot of success, but in many ways, I can kind of see you as somebody that's just getting started. What advice would you give to somebody who is doing all this work and they're sowing the seeds, but they're stressed about whether or not those seeds will ever bear fruit? Keep going. Okay. Just even, even with the evidence, maybe not right there. Just, just keep going. Just keep going. So no one thinks, no one who's really successful in the back of their mind, they really, really hope, they really, really wished, you know? Mm -hmm. But if you listen to people's success stories, it's Mm -hmm. never overnight. Like Mahershala Ali, you know, he just got his Oscar, but he's been in the game for 16 years. Right. People just literally, literally late last year, people figured out what his name was and how to pronounce it. Before that, he was like Remy from House of Cards. Right. You know? Um, it it takes a while. Like Janelle Monae is everywhere. She's all over the place. But I remember when she was doing like small clubs in New York, like 10 years ago, you know, Um, other same thing. uh, Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people like that. Okay. So keep going. So this last question is for you. So as you continue to write this next chapter of your life, what is one thing you hope to do or accomplish? Um, you know, I have some ideas and Mm -hmm. I, just as a habit I don't like to put stuff out there okay because I hate it when people are like oh I'm gonna do xyz and then it's like oh that sounds like a really great idea and then they never do it and you're like but you should have done that (laughs) can we get a gist (laughs) um you know I I post a lot I I post I don't like to say I post fashion because I really don't talk about fashion I post I post what I'm wearing, you know, and I don't tag for various reasons. Um, But like I'm out and about and I take a picture and, and, you know, people respond well to what I'm wearing. Um, Mm -hmm. I would like to do something in the fashion realm at some point. Okay. That's, that's good enough. I'll take that. We'll talk about it, but I'll, yeah, but yeah. I'll take that. Well, thank you so much. Uh, This was very insightful um, and informative. And and I know that, you know, everyone listening will get something out of this interview and I'm proud of you. Like, I'm really proud of, you know, just the career you've created for yourself and really how you've been able to, at every turn, just, you know, one of my favorite words is leverage. And you talked about leveraging relationships, leveraging opportunities. And I'm, I'm really proud to see you do all the things that you're doing. You've been a great example for so many of us. So thank you again.